Well, amen. As Kevin said, if you have a copy of God's Word, would you meet me in Proverbs chapter 9? Uh, we've been in this series all summer long called Pitfalls, where we've been looking at Proverbs 1 through 9. We've been taking basically one week to tackle each chapter, and we're wrapping up that series uh, today. Uh, then the word pitfall, the definition, if you will, if you're uh, a note taker, you want to take out some notes and write some notes down, that'd be a great time to do that right now. But the definition of a pitfall is an unforeseen trap or danger. It's an unforeseen trap or danger. And as you're turning to Proverbs chapter 9, you're not really going to notice uh, off the jump a pitfall a unforeseen trap or danger. This is really a summation of the first half of the book of Proverbs because uh, scholars see Proverbs 1 through 9 as a singular unit and then 10 through 31 as a unit as well. And he's wrapping up, this father writing this uh, to this son is kind of wrapping up to this transitionary point to get to all these uh, tweetable quotes, if you will, but there's linkages in chapters 10 through 31. But he's getting ready to transition and how he chooses to do that is by introducing two meals, two meals, which when I thought of that, and I I read Proverbs chapter nine a few times through, I I thought of my favorite holiday meal, which some of you may debate on this and like 4th of July or a different meal better, but my favorite time is Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving uh, meal, and mainly because probably it's because I'm in ministry and we actually get to enjoy that time where Christmas, you always got the Christmas Eve services and all that kind of stuff going on, but... But Thanksgiving, I enjoy it so much. And my wife and I, a little fun fact about both of us, we're both only children. So the definition of having a big family, uh, we didn't have that. It was just us and our parents. That was all that it was all growing up. And when we got married, we, we talked about holidays and, you know, all those kind of, uh, you know, de-arming the devil conversations as we like to call them, couples we counsel, like make sure you make the decision, like where are you going to Thanksgiving, where are you going to Christmas and kind of all that jazz, like when you have kids, where are you going to do all that? And we decided that Thanksgiving was going to be at our house and we wanted Thanksgiving to be at our house to have everybody come to us and if we were ever in a city or an area where we had uh, people on church staff who didn't have anywhere to go, they would come to our house and we would have just this big feast together. Well, we, when we got married, the first two years, we went to, uh, one year we spent with my family Thanksgiving, one we spent with hers, and then we moved to New York. And we were in New York for several years, and uh, that first year there, it was like, all right, it's our Thanksgiving time. Like, we're going to have this big bash blowout. This is going to be awesome. And my wife hates math. She hates math with a passion. But she became this math magician for Thanksgiving. Because she was in there the night before prepping everything in its pots. She was doing all this math of like, okay, we're only going to do one cook because I hate cold food. So she's like figuring out the difference between cooking this at 425 for 10 minutes versus at 350 for 20. And she's doing all these different things. We're setting alarms on our phones. We're putting sticky notes on things of like when everything has to go in at the right time so it can be taken out within 10 minutes of each other. And she is successful every year for three years in a row. She's been doing this and she is a wizard at it because she's planned, she's prepped, she's ready to execute. And this is exactly what you see in the opening of Proverbs chapter nine for Lady Wisdom. If you look at Lady Wisdom, this is what it says in verse one. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. 
she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places of the town. What you've noticed here in these first three verses of Proverbs 9 is that Lady Wisdom is established. She's prepared. She's sent out her messengers. And that was basically me for Thanksgiving. I had one job, make the invites, and then at 5.30, go get the ice. All right, that's all I could do. That's what I was good for. And so in this, what you notice here at, for Lady Wisdom is she has an established home. She has a feast prepared. Her messengers have been sent out and everyone has been invited. And she is positioned at the peak of the town. And she is contradictory to Lady Folly. If you skip down to verse 13, we're going to cover this whole chapter, but skip down to verse 13 with me. And it says this, that lady, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes her seat at the highest places of the town, calling out to all who pass by, who are to go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. Whoever lacks sense, she says, verse 17, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that there are the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Notice the difference between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Lady Wisdom has her house established and prepared. Lady Folly simply sits outside on the front porch. Lady Wisdom has prepared her feast. Lady Folly has nothing. Just some stolen bread, stolen water. It's not like the feast of wisdom. But, but notice verse 17 specifically almost sounds like a proverb. Verse 17, one more time. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Listen to this promise that deception lays out in front of any who will listen. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. There's a promise, but yet there's deception in the promise. It's a recall to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve are in a garden and listening to the promises of a serpent, not knowing that they're listening to folly himself. And taking up the invitation would lead not to joy, but rather to sorrow. It will not lead to life, but rather lead to death. That even though... There's some truth in the statement that it's sweet for a moment. That temptation and sin are sweet for a moment. Where does it lead? The last verse of this chapter. He does not know it leads to death. And folly has positioned herself in the same place as wisdom. If you have your Bible out, underline that last phrase in verse 14. The highest places of the town. It's the exact same rendering as verse three, the highest places in the town. That wisdom and folly are positioned in this chapter almost together. Why is, why is this the case? Well, in ancient Mesopotamia or wherever this would have taken place, to be positioned in the highest places of the town is where the deities would be placed. That's where the temples would be placed. And for folly and for wisdom, they are being deified in this chapter. 
It's not just random people who may lead you down the right path or may not. Like, make sure you choose your friends wisely. This is not one of those chapters, even though Proverbs does teach that to be true. That we need to choose our friends, our companions wisely. Rather, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are being positioned as two ways of life. Two different gods, if you will. That Lady Wisdom is in the place of Yahweh himself, the one true God. And Lady Folly is representative of all the false gods and idols that we choose to make as primary positions in our life when sometimes they shouldn't be in there at all or others, they need to find their proper placement. But when they're out of the wrong placement, they become an idol that we worship rather than a tool that we have in our life or just a pleasure. Like for example, some things that you could think up is when everything you live for is your status among your peers. When what you live for is your comfort in this world. When what you live for is the next bougie meal. When it's your title, when it's your family, when it's your kids, when it's all other relationships, when it's your bank account number, when all these things are the things that have the highest priority in your life, you have made them a little g God. But the position of both wisdom and folly being in the similar spot is a recall in all of our minds and for those who would read the Hebrew Bible's minds to Genesis. In Genesis 2, 9, very specifically, we'll read one verse together. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That just like in Genesis 2, when God is telling us the layout of this garden and there are these two trees, there are these two individuals who have been deified as Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Because what the author of Proverbs 9 is wanting to point out is what the entire Bible is seeking to point out. That there are not these multiple facets and pathways of life. There are simply two. One that is following wisdom and one that isn't. That you could write it in a point like this. There is one way to live and another way that leads to death. There is one way to live and another way that leads to death. Now this isn't to say that there isn't complicated matters of life where there are gray areas and need for wisdom. That is obviously clear from the whole Bible and specifically the book of Proverbs. Which is why Proverbs isn't a list of do's and don'ts. And it isn't a list of edicts of don't do this or do do that. It's why wisdom isn't personified as uh, letters of the law, but rather a person. That wisdom herself is a person who is deified and spiritualized because wisdom is representative of God himself. Standing in the place of the one true God, Yahweh, who would lead his people out of slavery and rescue them from the land of Egypt. It's a person Wisdom isn't a theory or an idea to be grasped. It's a person to be followed. Because wisdom in this text and wisdom all throughout the Bible is Jesus himself. And listen to wisdom's invitation that we haven't read yet. Verse four, whoever is simple, 
let him turn in. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread, drink of my wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. Notice the very first word of verse four, whoever. Word simply means all. All are invited. Whoever would turn in. Sounds a lot like Jesus talking to Nicodemus at night where he says in John 3.16, probably the most famous Bible verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We talked about it in our spring series, but John uses the word believes to mean full trust. That Jesus is saying whoever puts their full trust in him would not only have better uh, length of life, but ever better quality of life. That they would actually be living in the correct way, the way that God portrays them to have wisdom that he alone can provide. And you may be thinking, well, that's great. You know, I prayed that prayer. I settled that long ago. I was at VBS or a few years ago back. I, I got right with God. I checked that box. I've got that fire insurance. I paid that policy premium. But the language of Proverbs and of the entire Bible is to not view a relationship with Jesus as I did that once. Because if you're doing that in your mind, that you're viewing what the grace of God, that it's pursuit of you is, is that I did that once. Do you view the grace of Jesus or even your relationship with Jesus as a meal or as a feast? Now, if you're one of those people who go to a buffet or a feast and, and just get one plate, we need to talk later, okay? You're not doing it right. Is it a meal? Like I can tell you about this meal that I enjoyed this one time at this Italian restaurant overlooking Niagara Falls with the best Alfredo I've ever had in my life. Me and Rena, my wife, we, I think we licked the bowl, but it was a classy restaurant, so we had to do it very subtly with a spoon. But we talk about that and we compare that meal to every other Italian meal we have because Italians are both of our favorite and we were like in the motherland, as close as you could get without going to Italy, with all these Italians in western New York. And we were on the Canadian side. And, and we, we sat down at this dinner and we, we were just enjoying this. It was like, oh my goodness, try this, try this, try this. And we, we have it burnt in our brains, but that was just one meal. Is your relationship with Jesus this one meal? Or is it a daily occurrence of like a diet, not like a diet to lose weight, like a, but this is what you enjoy daily. It's your daily intake. Because listen, after the invitation in Proverbs 9, 4 and 5, listen to the, the rendering in the next few verses in verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. Whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. Give instructions to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, he will increase in learning. Notice the difference between these two types of individuals. The wise and the scoffer, or the wicked man. The wicked man, when he's corrected or 
reproved, as it says, hates you, inflicts pain, brings about injury to your life. But the wise man loves you, becomes wiser, increases in learning. And these are all really, really fun words, right? We all want to be loved. We all want to increase in learning. We all want to be wiser. But don't take that without knowing what the prerequisite was. The prerequisite was that individual was reproofed and corrected. Reproofed and corrected. The word reproof literally means to rebuke or let one know they're wrong. Now let me ask you, are you wise? Are, are you wise? Am I wise? In this sense, do we enjoy being corrected? Do we enjoy being rebuked? Do we enjoy being instructed? Do we carry about with us this spirit of learning and, and needing to continue to grow? Because this is the depiction of the one who is wise. It's an invitation where you got invited to the meal, but you never leave. It's like, this is where I belong now. Now, if you come over to my house for Thanksgiving, please don't do that. But in the context of this invitation for this meal, this is what happens. That when you sit down with wisdom, you don't leave. Because it's not a thing to be grasped, it's a person to be followed. So are you correctable? Are you instructable? Or to say it in, in, in different terms, then when's the last time that you've had noticeable growth in your relationship with Jesus? And I'm not talking about growth in terms of you knowing more information specifically. That's needed. Here's some examples. When's the last time someone said that you increased or you grew in your love for Christ and others made in his image? When's the last time someone looked at you and said, man, your joy for seasons of needing contentment are way different than they were last year? When's the last time someone looked at you and said, man, you have an unexplainable peace in the midst of this unknown? When's the last time someone looked at you and said, man, you have this patience with other people who don't look, look like you, act like you, or vote like you? When's the last time someone looked at you and said, man, you have this kindness for other people who are just ugly to you? If you haven't noticed yet, this is simply working through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it's this evidence of Christ's work in our life through the power of his spirit because we have sat down with wisdom and grown. And we're different. Not just in the information we know, but the way we actually live. Which is why Proverbs 9 is almost an echo of all of Proverbs and of Proverbs 1, where it says this, well, okay, how do I get that? What's the pathway of growth, if you will? Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight for by me 
Your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Proverbs 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's very similar at the very beginning of Proverbs 1. Where it says, where do we start with this? Oh, we start with the fear of the Lord. We need to fear the Lord. And that's where we start and that's where we stay to grow. But what does that mean? What is the fear of the Lord? Many scholars believe that this simple phrase, fear of the Lord, is a pickup of what Moses has taught the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 10. Let's look at these, three verse, these two verses together. Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. And now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep his commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. That what is the fear of the Lord? It's to love him, to cherish him, to trust him, to walk in his ways. And when we are not walking in his ways, to be willing to be reproved, corrected, and rebuked. Because how we grow, listen to verse 11. Look at it one more time. For by me. This is wisdom speaking here. By me, your days will be multiplied. By me, you'll grow. Wisdom here is coming to us. Don't miss this. I've said it like 10 times. Not in the form of a commandment, but in the form of a person. For by me, this is how the Lord comes to us. In a person. It's displayed in Proverbs. It's displayed from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of the story. That salvation comes not in the form of an it. Of do better. You should have known better. Be different. but in the form of a person who loves us, died for us, prepared it all and says, just come on in and have a seat. Your decisions is like, you want to come and sit with me? You ain't got to bring nothing. Because the beautiful thing about the entire Bible, the beautiful thing about Proverbs 9 is wisdom sent out her messengers to search and invite. The story of the whole Bible is God chasing us down. Rebellious, wicked, sinful people who had no right to be invited in. But not only do we get invited in, we get to come on in. And verse 12 sounds like the most individualistic Bible verse in the entire Bible because it says, in verse 12, it says, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Why, why, why does it get to say that? Why does, why does this like big invitation turn into, if you're wise, you get to be wise for yourself. If you scoff, figure it out. Because if it's you're a scoffer, at some level it's your 
own fault. You've chosen that. You've been invited. You just got to come on in. You got to assess your life. And like when you sit down at the table, there's some other things that are required. But to get in is, they've done it all. Wisdom has prepared her feast. Jesus has made the way. And now we assess, we get reproof, we get to grow. We get to assess our life and say like, okay, is this providing a way of life or is it leading me the wrong way? Then you get to make that decision. But it's the starting place that doesn't stop. And this is greatly depicted in one of my favorite Christmas movies. I love The Grinch. We already talked about Thanksgiving. It's August. Let's talk about Christmas. It's hot, all right? In The Grinch, I love all three of the movies, the old cartoon, the animation, uh, DreamWorks, the new one, and even the Jim Carrey live action. I love all of them. And the short storyline of The Grinch is there's this grumpy green guy that hates Christmas and hates all the who's. So he makes this wise plan one day. He says, I'm going to steal all their Christmas, all their stuff, all their decorations, all their gifts, all their food, because that's what they are celebrating. So he does it. He takes it up to the top of this mountain called Mount Crumpet. He's going to dump it off. But he waits he wants to see their reaction and response of all the weeping and all the crying because they don't get any stuff anymore. And right there at that moment when he's about to push the sleigh off, he hears singing instead of crying. And the Grinch heart in that movie grows three sizes that day, it says. And he wants to return all the stuff. And the DreamWorks film is my favorite for this reason because it doesn't stop with him returning the stuff. He goes home, he gets his dog a new toy. Finally starts treating Max better. And he sits down for a dinner on Christmas night by himself with Max. There's a knock at his door. This little girl, Cindy Luhu, comes to the top of his mountain, knocks on the door and says, hey, I want to invite you to my family Christmas dinner. He says, but I took all your stuff. She says, I know, but I'm inviting you anyway. She slides down the mountain. She says, don't forget to bring your cute puppy. Listen to wisdom. Whoever is simple, let him turn in. To him who lacks sense, say, come, eat my bread, drink my wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. In the movie of the Grinch, his heart changed on a mountain. But it didn't stop there. Because it goes and moves with this one person's pursuit of an individual that changed everything else about his life. What's amazing about the DreamWorks picture is what it presents is this scene at the very end of the movie where the Grinch is sitting around the table, at the head of the table, getting to cut the main dish and serve it to everyone else. And he says, I realize now that what I hated was simply being alone. But everything had to change for that growth to happen. 
He needed heart change, activity change, location change, company change, direction change. His intention had to change. There's a lot of change that had to work. But his heart changed on the mountain. And many of us have probably experienced this change in our life where we've seen Jesus for who he is. But following Jesus, it's not simply one meal that we enjoyed that one time. But it's a feast, it's a diet, it's a location that we never live because there's this ongoing growth that should be happening in our lives, not by our power, but by the Holy Spirit working inside of us. Because what Proverbs 9 wants us to see is there is one way to live and many others, one other that lead to death. So here's the question for each and every one of us. Where does God need to work next? If you would, would you get in a a prayer posture? We do this every week and just a note that at any point during this time together, as we begin to pray and just invite the spirit of God to come in and ministry and do ministry in only ways he can, we have prayer team members that'll be on the, the sides that if you would love to pray with someone just in this moment, that's available to you. But note that these prayer prompts that we're about to work through together are not meant to just be the one-time prayer in this room, but my prayer is that they would be prompts that God works on you all throughout the week. You can choose to listen to all of these prayer guides. You can choose to focus on one of them. Or if at any moment during these, you need to go and pray with someone, there's prayer team members on the sides. But if you would, would you just get in the prayer posture? You can look at me, you can bow your head, close your eyes, whatever is most comfortable for you. The first prayer prompt is for those who have never turned into wisdom's house. Is today that day for you? that your entire life has been on this trajectory that is leading to death and today you realized it. And you wanna come into wisdom's house. You want to follow Jesus, begin your relationship with Jesus, following him for the very first time. My invitation is just to simply cry out to him in a normal language of confessing that you know that you need him in your life, that you are a sinner, he is the only savior and you want to follow him for all your days. Or second, for those of you who just need a renewal of energy in your spirit, would you pray, God, would you remind me of my baptism? God, would you remind me of that moment when I turned into wisdom's house for the very first time and sat down at the table totally undeserving of everything, but you provided it for me. You lived the life I couldn't live. You died the death that I deserved and you rose again to provide a way for me to have new life. Third prayer prompt, what areas of your life does God and God alone need to provide growth? Because they're dead. That you need God's power to show up in a mighty and powerful way. 
fourth prayer prompt. What are things in your power that need to be changed in your life? Examples like your rhythms spiritually, the amount of scripture you intake, church attendance, biblical community, prayer life. The beautiful thing about our God is if we failed 99 times, he is a God of another chance. Come to him. Fifth prayer prompt is what areas of sin in your life are you hiding and tucking away in a corner that you think, I got this, I can handle this. Wisdom listens to the rebuke and the correction and becomes wiser and has more insight but it's only with those things that come into the light that God is able to minister and bring healing. If you leave it in the dark, God will bring it to the light eventually. And the last prayer prompt is, what are things in your life that you're praying for that only God can bring about change. Maybe it's in your life or someone else's, but would you just place that before him? Before I pray, I just wanna give a simple just note if we would love to pray for anything that you're praying for. If after the service, if you wanna submit a prayer request, you can do that with a connection card in the back of your seat or at jcsignup.com. There's a way to fill out that prayer request. We would love to pray for you and with you um, in whatever those needs are. I'm gonna pray for us. Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. How it's alive, it's active, and it's all pointing to Jesus. We recognize that we are broken people who are works in progress. God, we pray that we would come on into wisdom's house and enjoy our seat, get comfortable and stay right there. Jesus, help us recognize that wisdom is not a list of rules of do's and don'ts that we are seeking to master, but it's you. We want to follow you. Help us, guide us, encourage us, strengthen us. May we leave this place forever changed. And may this week we go about, may you bring these things back to mind. Will you reproof us through your Holy Spirit? Would you send biblical accountability into all of our lives? May we seek it out because we want to look more and more like you. In your holy, precious name, we pray. Amen.